If you've been around the keto community for any amount of time, you've probably heard about keto coffee, basically coffee blended with MCT oil that's promoted as a ketogenic alternative to carb-heavy breakfasts like cereal, bagels, and oatmeal. And if you love keto coffee, you should definitely try Natural Force Keto Coffee Creamer. It's keto certified and contains C8 and C10 MCTs sourced 100% from organic coconuts. But if you're like me and you really don't drink coffee, you might be feeling a little left out right now. But never fear, despite the name, Keto Coffee Creamer is amazing in all sorts of things like iced tea, sparkling water, and my personal favorite, Stevia sodas. I like to add a tablespoon of vanilla Keto Coffee Creamer to Stevia Cream Soda, and let me tell you what, it tastes like an indulgent dessert with absolutely none of the guilt. Keto Coffee Creamer features a special type of MCT oil that can mix instantly into both hot and iced coffee with just a spoon. So you don't need a blender, shaker, or any special equipment. Just pour, stir, sip, and go. If you're ready to instantly ketofy coffee, tea, sparkling water, and more, now's the time to do it. Head on over to naturalforce.com jimmy for an exclusive offer available only to listeners of this show. Natural Force Keto Coffee Creamer. Are you looking for whole food supplements for your ketogenic lifestyle? Then let me introduce you to Further Food. Go to furtherfood.com and you'll see that they source the highest quality ingredients on the planet. They have collagen peptides and my favorite, the gelatin powder to make those yummy gummies. And all of it is sourced from grass-fed, pasture-raised bovine collagen from Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay. Guys, this is really high-quality collagen and gelatin. There's no hormones or antibiotics. It's non-GMO, and it's the most tasteless and easiest to use on the market. And if you're not using collagen and gelatin, you need to be adding this to your ketogenic lifestyle. It helps reduce wrinkles, increase skin elasticity, making your skin firmer and softer. Collagen helps nails and hair grow longer and stronger while helping to rebuild your bones and strengthen your joints and ligaments. Collagen also helps with digestion and will help you curb your carb cravings. Again, head on over to furtherfood.com, enter the coupon code JIMMY at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. Elevate your wellness. Further food. Today's featured audio is from the 2019 Low Carb Cruise. Head on over to lowcarbcruiseinfo.com to get full details about the May 2020 Low Carb Cruise. Uh, living la vida low carb. This show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling right. Cut up the avocados, fry some eggs. Time to explore the longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage. We're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal. Yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused. Don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey. The Living Low Carb Woo. I just wanted to have a quick chat with you about these little cards that I have been leaving with people around uh, around this cruise. And please take the rest of them because these are a public service announcement. Every single person here in this room, I feel it is safe to say, at some point felt worse and more pain than they do today as a result of changing their lifestyle and eating a more ketogenic diet. I think I'm pretty safe to say that. 
Um, <clears throat> this card says, read this. It will change your life or the life of someone you love. And on the back, it says, if you're overweight, suffer from type 1 or type 2 diabetes, fibromyalgia, epilepsy, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, Parkinson's, ALS, lipedema, and autoimmune disease or cancer, then lowering your carbohydrates, sugar, refined flours, pasta, bread, fruit, etc., can have a major positive impact on your health. Google keto and, open brackets, enter your health issue here, and see for yourself. Real food heals. This card has been left as a public service by someone who cares. Hashtag keto PSA. I want to spread 10,000 of these across the USA this year. I've already spread 2,000 since I had these printed a week or so ago, well, a month or so ago. I have left on my last slide a Vistaprint number. This is my personal code. Anyone can go to Vistaprint, ask them to send you a box of 500 cards for $8.99 and do it yourself. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is the reason that we were all pretty emotional the other day, is that it really has changed my life. In fact, it saved my life. And the very first day we were here, you remember when we all went to muster stations? Well, as I was standing at my muster station, a man came in front of me holding an unconscious woman and said, someone help me. Nobody did anything on the deck, and I got her onto the ground immediately, pulled off her glasses, started to check for a pulse and breathing, and I realized she was absolutely still with us, but she was having a seizure. She'd never had a seizure before. So as her husband is starting to do compressions, I'm saying, no, stop compressions. We do not need to go there right now. But this is a seizure, and I'm going through in my head saying, does she have a seizure disorder? Does she have food allergies? Has this ever happened before? And all I can think in my heart of hearts as I watch her go off to medical is that woman's going to get put on an anti-epileptic drug. If not right now, definitely after the next seizure that she's likely going to have. And she may have the same fate that I had, which was the worst possible side effects to epileptic medication that you can imagine. My side effects were rage and suicidal ideation. So bad, in fact, that my husband and I had a conversation. We decided that it would be better for me to die in my sleep from sudden unexpected death from epilepsy than to continue on with the side effects of the medication. But lucky for me, my darling husband in de desperation went online to a seizure support group and learned about the ketogenic diet. And he told me about it. And I started it. And two weeks later, I was seizure-free. And I've been seizure-free for five years. Wow. Thank you. But the side effects of that were um, really quite spectacular. Now, of course, we've finally got my slides to work, and we may not actually be able to get them to advance. So let's see. There we go. Okay, so nothing to dis disclose. I do, uh, I do provide consultation for therapeutic applications of ketogenic diet, but... After all the talks, I thought I should show you a picture of what I looked like before, but honestly, I didn't have any because I never post what I looked like before. Yes. Because quite frankly, the shame was pretty horrific. I was 100 pounds heavier than I am now. And I was 100 pounds heavier than I am now for 25 years. If someone had come to me before my seizure started and said, hey, I've got this great new diet. It's going to take all your pain away and make you lose 100 pounds, I would have told you to... There's the door, because I had done it all, like so many people. But that's not what happened. I started a ketogenic diet for my epilepsy, and the side effects for me were 100-pound weight loss, no more fibromyalgia, no more pain from arthritis, 
five medications no longer required, and I feel amazing. I wish I'd known about this when I was 20. So that's just a little bit about how I got started, but I'm not here to talk to you about that today. I'm here to tell you a love story. Who's a Game of Thrones fan? Yes, hello. No spoilers because I have not seen the last season, okay? So don't tell me. But it's not about John and Rose. Did you know they're actually an off-screen couple? I just found that out. Yeah, so it's not about that. It is about Kate and Kevin. So a few basics. Before we get going, I want to make sure we're all speaking the same language. A ketogenic diet is not a food. It is a diet, and it is any diet that, that induces a state of ketosis. And some might find it shocking to know that you can do that on bread and water. Calorie restriction will put you into a state of ketosis, regardless of what you are eating. Most people who think that they're on a ketogenic diet aren't actually on a ketogenic diet. So just so that we're clear, when you're looking at the literature, a low-carb, high-fat diet is under 100 grams of total carbohydrate a day. And I'm pretty sure that we can all agree that the vast majority of North America could benefit from being on a diet that is under 100 grams of total carbs per day. A very low-carb, high-fat diet is under 50 grams a day. And this may or may not put you into ketosis. If you are Danny Vega or Debbie Potts and you have all this massive muscle, you probably have a lot of monocarboxylic acid transporters, which make you a very efficient ketone burner. And so you probably go in and out of ketosis very easily. But if you're not that muscular and you're just starting out on your journey, that may take a little bit more time. A ketogenic diet, KD, an actual ketogenic diet, is a therapeutic diet of under 20 grams of carbohydrate a day, and that keeps you in ketosis 24-7, 365. Keto all day, every day. That's what I require. And actually, after five years, I now don't require under 20 grams. I can now push that to about 30 grams and still feel pretty good. And on any day when my, my mind is kind of saying, hmm, am I feeling okay? That's usually an indicator to me that I need to fast for a little while or really up my fats or really be careful about what goes in my mouth over the next 12 to 24 hours. So I also want to take a minute to say that I honestly don't believe everybody needs to be in ketosis 365, 24-7. We are designed to be metabolically flexible, right? We're talking about what our ancestral design is, and it is metabolic flexibility. So I don't want people to go from the eating all day, you know, fed state all day, you know, side of things to have the whole pendulum swim back, swing back and everybody to say, oh, I need to be in ketosis 24-7, 365. Because if you are metabolically healthy, that may not actually be what you need. Periods of ketosis during the day, periods of ketosis during the year, absolutely. Very, very helpful. But you might need to ask yourself, what is right for me? And that is really what my talk is going to be about. So <clears throat> moving along. Oh, that's what we should be eating. There we go. All right, so we're going to talk about the berries for a minute because they're not here, so we're going to talk about them. So <clears throat> we're going to talk about Kevin and how Kevin starts out his life. Kevin's parents are happy. They live on a farm. They get lots of exercise. Kevin's mom is healthy. She is not diabetic. 
Kevin's dad is a loving, supportive partner who rubs mom's feet every single day through her pregnancy, just like Ken does for Nisha, I'm sure. And as a result, his mom has a wonderful birth, a vaginal birth, or what I like to call a bacterial baptism, which confers on our little baby Kevin a wonderful, diverse gut microbiome. And Kevin is breastfed. <clears throat> this is important because babies who are born vaginally have a very different gut microbiome than babies who are born by cesarean. And babies who are born by cesarean and formula fed have a very different microbiome than babies who are born and by cesarean and breastfed. It is really important to understand that the gut microbiome that is conferred to that baby at birth is the baseline, is the foundation for that child's health for the rest of their lives. And that's not to say that it can't change, because it does over time, but it has some pretty profound implications for ongoing physiology. Gut bacteria are a source of nutrients and vitamins, and those little guys are really, really busy. They work hard at building uh, an immune system for that baby, and also producing essential amino acids. So in order to do that, though, they need food. And that is why it was so important that Kevin was breastfed. Breasts are awesome, aren't they? They're just awesome. They're not just nice to look at. They're actually metabolic masterpieces. Anyone have an idea how much of your total resting energy your brain requires every day? Close. The range is somewhere between 20 and 30 percent, right? That's what the that's what the literature says. 20 to 30 percent. Any guesses how much of your total resting energy lactating breasts require? 20 to 30 percent. The same amount as your brain. Think about that from an evolutionary perspective. That has to be pretty important to be able to say, we're just going to hold off 30% of your total metabolic resting energy for lactation. And if you think about it, it's incredibly important for our evolution because we wouldn't be here if it didn't work that way. And when you also think about it, and there's, this is up there, I don't know if you guys can read it, so I'll read it too. But newborn brains consume 60 to 70% of the total metabolism at birth, nearly half of which is through beta-hydroxybutyrate. There's a reason that breast milk is a highly ketotic food. There's a reason that newborns stay in ketosis for a period of time. And that is because they're mammals born to humans. And humans have the biggest presenting part at birth, usually the head, sometimes this, that can be big too, and the smallest root out, which means they're at the greatest likelihood for trauma at birth. And if you think about it, if you're born with head trauma or hypoxia, which is a lack of oxygen at birth, the best thing you could be doing for that infant is keeping them in a state of ketosis, which is inherently anti-inflammatory, and allow them to recover from that birth, which is why that beautiful liquid gold we call colostrum is there to mitigate any potential trauma at delivery. Incredible. So the other thing that you may not know is that breast milk is alive. It is actually live tissue. It is filled with undifferentiated stem cells. How cool is that? They have actually found that these undifferentiated stem cells can tur turn into neuronal cells. 
Do you have any idea what the implications of that are in research? Over the next five to 10 years, you are going to see research that is using breast milk-derived stem cells to manage neurodegenerative diseases and Alzheimer's and dementia. They have found that stem cells pass from the infant's gut into the bloodstream and are located in the brain, in the kidneys, in the liver, and in the pancreas. Those stem cells can actually target areas that were not appropriately developed in the uterus and continue building that baby on the outside. That is some cool stuff. Told you breasts are really awesome. <laughs> so, <clears throat> as Kevin grows, his mom's breast milk changes with his growth. Breast milk is not the same at two in the afternoon as it is in two in the, at two in the evening. It is not the same at two weeks as it is at two months. It is not the same when a child is ill as when a child is healthy. It changes based on the needs of the individual child. It is full of these amazing things called human milk oligosaccharides. There are over 130 that we know of to date, and they're still finding more, in human milk. Guess how many there are in cow's milk? 12. And all infant formula, with the exception of soy-based formula, is based on cow's milk. Human milk is also full of these extremely cool things called alkylglycerol type ether lipids, or AKGs. And this is something that most of you have probably never heard of before, but I really want to put on your radar because they are incredibly important. In fact, they are essential for developing healthy adipose tissue. They are not found in formula. They are not found in an adult diet. Now, who here has heard of brown fat and white fat? brown fat, or sometimes called beige fat, right? These AKGs, that's what they do. They actually preserve brown fat or beige fat, and all infants are born with a pretty healthy dose of this so that they don't freeze to death once they come out into this cold, loud, noisy, very, very bright arena we call life. So that beige fat, over time, goes down, it diminishes. And we've actually just realized that we do still have some of that as adults, and it used to be thought that it was all gone by the time we hit adolescence. It's not. But it is normal for beige fat to diminish and for white adipose tissue to build. For babies who do not have breast milk, they do not get the benefit of those AKGs. And as a result, they transfer that beige fat into white adipose tissue very rapidly. They do not get the benefit of the thermogenic fat because beige and brown fat creates heat. It burns energy. Instead, they get a ton of extra storage. And you wonder why we have an obesity epidemic. So breastfeeding wasn't just important for our little Kevin here. Breastfeeding is also really, really important for Kevin's mom. Most people think that the metabolic changes that take place during birth end, or during pregnancy, I should say, end at birth. Well, newsflash, they don't. They actually end at weaning. And the state of being pregnant in order to grow this little parasite in us actually causes us to become insulin resistant. And that's normal because we're growing a fetus. We need to shunt all that extra energy to that baby. But if we do not breastfeed after we have that baby, then we do not metabolically reset. And in fact, there is now what they are calling a reset 
theory or a reset hypothesis which explains this quite well. <clears throat> And I'm going to read it for you because I know you guys <laughs> So, changes in metabolism that may predispose women to significant health disparities, in other words, type 2 diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular risk factors, metabolic syndrome. With the onset of pregnancy, maternal insulin secretion increases in order to support glucose and amino acid transport to the fetus. Right? Growing a parasite. Absolutely. However, a combination of increased insulin secretion increased circulating lipids, and consequently increased visceral adiposity, remember Amy talked about that visceral adiposity <coughs> yesterday, often leads to insulin resistance of the maternal cells. Again, not entirely abnormal when you're pregnant. When breastfeeding is initiated, a metabolic shift occurs that alters resource allocation from the storage to milk synthesis. You've got to be making the milk to get this benefit. Breastfeeding results in improved glucose handling via a decrease in insulin production, improved insulin sensitivity, and a drop in beta cell proliferation. Basically, lactation is critical in resetting metabolic processes that occur during pregnancy, and it reduces the risk and the prevalence of metabolic disease. This is really important stuff to know, because most of us really aren't thinking about it. Many of you may not realize this, but triglyceride levels go up two to three hundred percent in pregnant women. That's a big shift, but of course they're going to baby. So making sure that that loop is completed is really important. So Kevin's growing up on the farm. He's eating lots of delicious free-range eggs, all kinds of very local meat because it's right in his backyard. But there comes a time when Kevin gets bored of the farm and he wants to leave and he wants to go to greener pastures in the city. So he wants to go away to college where guess what? His diet changes quite radically. <laughs> this is what Kevin subsides on for the next four years. And maybe a little bit of this thrown in because you know, uh, Uber Eats, thank you very much. Why would I bother leaving my dorm when I can just call a cab to bring me crap? So that's what Kevin does, and that's what happens to Kevin. Freshman 15 no longer, now freshman 50. But Kevin is a smart boy, so he graduates and he moves on, and then he decides to get a real job and start adulting, and the stress starts to take hold, and he has skin issues and joint issues, and he doesn't feel really very happy. But that's where Kevin is right now. So now let's talk about Kate. Kate's mom is a single mom. She's got two other children, and she lives a pretty hard life, well below the poverty line. Kate doesn't have any supportive family. She, or Kate's mom, I should say, does not have any supportive family at all. She has to stay working right up to the very end of her pregnancy, and she doesn't really prioritize her trips to her physician because she doesn't really have the money and she doesn't really have the time. She does her best, but of course, you know, it's easier just to feed TV dinners to the kids and to herself because that's what's simple and fast, and frankly, that's what the kids like because that's really all they've ever known. So at about 27 weeks, Kate's mom is diagnosed with gestational diabetes, and this is a form of diabetes that happens to women who are pregnant, again, often because that whole insulin-resistant thing just kind of crosses a level. The problem is... Kate's not actually gestationally diabetic. If we assess women in pregnancy at 27 weeks and we discover that they are diabetic, 
we don't have a whole lot of weeks left before that baby arrives to manage that intrauterine environment and mitigate that child's risk. Problem is, Kate should have had her HbA1c tested the minute she told her primary care provider that she was pregnant. Because then, her primary care provider would have said, oh wow, look at that Kate's mom, you're actually diabetic right now. And what the literature is now showing us is that a big proportion of those diagnosed with gestational diabetes at 27 weeks were actually diabetic or pre-diabetic before they ever got pregnant. 50% of women who are diagnosed with gestational diabetes and pregnancy will become full-blown diabetic within five to eight years. <clears throat> so, even though she's trying to eat well, Kate's mom eats a lot of carbs. And Kate ends up at 11 pounds and needs to be born by cesarean. And I have to put this up because my first baby was born by cesarean. Because remember, I was like 270 pounds. <laughs> Actually, I think I hit 300 pounds with my first pregnancy. But very, very, very big lady at that time. So Kate is born by a cesarean. And so her mom has a really hard time breastfeeding. She doesn't get any support from her family. She was actually type 2 diabetic before she got pregnant, and women with type 2 diabetes have a very hard time with lactogenesis if it is not managed early. But of course, nobody knew this, and she didn't have the support, and she didn't see a lactation consultant, and she wasn't properly advised as to how to make that transition given her situation. And so she stopped breastfeeding on day four, and she gave her baby what she has been told is the next best thing. Formula. But what is it the next best thing to? Is it 2 a.m. breast milk or 2 p.m. breast milk? Because they're different. Is it summer breast milk or winter breast milk? Because those are different too. Is it breast milk at two weeks, two months, or two years? Because they're all different. Which is it? Next time you're in a supermarket, pull a can of formula off the shelf and have a look at the ingredient list. I'm going to tell you what the ingredient list of this well-known 42% corn syrup solids, first ingredient. Every one of them contain maltodextrin. Almost all of them contain canola oil, highly inflammatory, but they call it rapeseed oil on the formula container. So, next best thing. According to the World Health Organization, the next best thing to a mother's milk is a mother's milk expressed and given to her baby. The next best thing after that is another mother's milk given to her baby. And the next best thing after that is pooled human milk given to her baby. This is the fifth best thing, not the next best thing. <clears throat> if you look at formula and breast milk under a microscope, this is what you will see. Breast milk is alive. Cows do not need to be particularly smart, but humans do. So it's really important to understand that the components of breast milk are designed for human development. We all know how important DHA and ARA to the developing brain, correct? Well, guess what? The formula manufacturers who make billions of dollars a year off women's insecurities and crap support, they know this. 
And so they put it on the front of the can. And Kate's mom buys that can because she wants the best thing for her baby. So she buys the one that says brain smart on the front. Guess where the DHA comes from in infant formula? Algae. And it's extracted with hexane. Same thing that canola oil is extracted with. Guess where the ARA comes from in breast milk or in, in uh, formula? Soil fungus, also extracted with hexane. Neither of these things are native to a human's diet. The whey casein ratio in human milk is 80-20. It is 20-80 in formula. And God forbid you're feeding your child a soy-based formula because that has the same level of estrogen as postmenopausal women receive as hormone replacement therapy. And if you are giving your child solely soy-based formula, especially if they're a little boy, for that first six months, that's an awful lot of exposure. In fact, in Europe, it's pretty much off the market now. There are only very, very few times when you can even get soy. So the next time you guys see one of these nutritional labels, which you see all the time at these conferences, constantly comparing vegetables to meat and how much nutrition is in meat, I want you to stop for just a second and think about the nutrition in breast milk. And even though you can see that formula contains DHA and ARA, it is not species-specific. It's put there to sell a product. So Kate's mom has to go back to work. She leaves her baby on, you know, the smart, the smart formula because she, she's succumbing to the media. And Kate and her brothers have to go into care. And they have some pretty good caregivers, some that care a lot. And they have some not so good caregivers, some that don't care as much. And often the caregivers soothe Kate with extra bottles because what do you do with a baby that's crying? You plug it with something. It may come as a surprise to you that formula-fed infants at one month ingest nearly 50% more volume than a breastfed infant. And by three months, that number goes up to 57%. And by six months, it goes up to 71%. 71% more food by volume than a breastfed infant. And formula contains no leptin or adiponectin, which help infants regulate their appetite and their energy metabolism. So tons more volume, no regulating method, and we wonder why we have an obesity crisis. Less than 50% of babies are ever breastfed in the United States. And a fraction of those are exclusively breastfed until six months, which is the World Health Organization recommendation. So Kate stays in her care. Unfortunately, as she gets a little older and gets introduced to, you know, solid food, it's solid food from cans, because that's what her family can afford. When Starbucks is nice enough to donate goodies to the food bank, her mom is excited that she can bring treats home for the kids because we all know that sugar means love. They never get good veggies, and they even more rarely get meat. And at the age of 21, Kate's mother dies from complications of diabetes. 
And Kate is sad. And of course, she turns to food for comfort. And over time, she gains a ton of weight, and she tries to lose it, and she yo-yos back and forth, and she binges, and she purges. And all of you are saying right now, where's the love story? Because I'm getting sad. Okay, it's coming. <laughs> One day, Kevin and Kate go to a reunion of their college, and they lock eyes across the room, and they fall madly in love. And before you know it, they want to make babies. Probably want to make babies before they're ready, but they want to make babies. <laughs> but Kate has polycystic ovarian syndrome. She has a hard time getting pregnant. So they consult their physician. They go and see Jeff. And Jeff says, you know what? You guys might benefit from a lower carbohydrate diet. He's not quite to the like heavy-duty keto yet. And Jeff says, why don't you start out at under 100 grams of carbs a day? And guess what? Kevin loses weight. Kate gains. So Jeff says, well, why don't you knock it back a bit? Let's go down to under 50 grams of carbs a day. Kevin's happy. He's losing weight. Kate's gaining. Something is going on. Kevin, under 50, does amazingly. His A1C is back to normal. Lipid profile is excellent. He drops the weight. He begins to want to exercise. He dragon boats because that's what I do. <clears throat> and he's super supportive of Kate. What is going on? Kevin is fundamentally, metabolically healthy. He derailed in college. Now let's look at Kate. Kate needs a whole lot more help. Kate sees a counselor to try and help her work through her issues with food. She deals with the loss of her mom. She really works hard to figure out what's going on in her body that's making it so dysregulated. She needs to start some medication. She also has a full thyroid panel done, and it's discovered that she's got some hypothyroidism, so that's addressed. She addresses her cortisol levels, which are crazy high due to all the stress that she's had and all of the worrying about her weight. She addresses nutritional deficiencies that have been picked up. And she gets really good sleep. She goes to under 20 grams of carbs a day. And now she loses weight. Now her A1C comes down. Now she begins to feel better. She also needs more fat for her hormones, by the way. Kate was metabolically dysregulated. She needed a whole lot more buttons to get adjusted in order for her to find success. But she does find success. And pretty soon, they're expecting a baby. Now there's a little bean growing inside Kate. Mom has a normalized blood glucose and a normalized insulin. She knows what her A1C is because she has it checked every three months while she's been working on this journey. She understands the importance of nutrition. She does lots of walking and lots of dragon boating with Kevin. They're happy together. He rubs her feet. The pregnancy goes really well. She stays pretty low carb. Her baby's a good size, but guess what? You can't always load the dice in your favor, cast them, and have them work out the way you want. Something goes on during the actual labor and delivery, and Kate requires a cesarean birth. But lucky for her, I'm her doula. And so before we go into the OR, I pack her vagina with lap sponges, 
And after we come out of the OR, I take those lap sponges out and I wash her baby with it, making sure I get inside his mouth and inside his eyes and I give him her vaginal flora, her microbiome. It's called vaginal seeding. And I'm proud to say I was doing it in Ottawa 15 years ago before anyone knew what it was. And the surgeons were always laughing at me. But Owen, wherever Owen is, Owen was not laughing at me. Owen's an amazing baby dog. So she had a hard time emotionally because she was missing her mom. But you know what? She had amazing support in Kevin's family. They were there for her. Do I have that first one up there? No? So... Kevin's mom had already breastfed successfully a couple of babies at that point. So she was there for Kate and she really helped her get over that bumps. Because I was her doula and because I knew her history, I made sure that I taught her how to hand express colostrum before she ever delivered. We started at 36 weeks and made sure that she had about 10 mils of colostrum on ice before we ever went to the hospital, just in case. And not only just in case, because, you know, cesarean births do happen 30% uh, of the time these days, in case she felt as if she didn't have confidence. By helping her learn how to hand express beforehand, I boosted her confidence. So we gave that to her baby, she had confidence, and she breastfed. In fact, she continued to breastfeed exclusively for six months and then for two years and beyond. She learned how to manage her stress, she did some meditation, she took long walks, some grounding, and they slept. They all slept really well. And then even Kevin got some backyard chickens because, you know, he needed the stress relief and he wanted them for their good eggs and their meat. So they were doing really, really well. But some factors to consider here. Everybody's low-carb path is going to be different. We are all individuals. And just in the same way that our mother's milk changes its composition to meet our individual needs, we need to change our nutrition to meet our individual needs. What sex you are is a, an influencer. How old you are is an influencer. If you're a woman over 40, ladies, yeah, we have to work a little harder. Your metabolic health matters. Your gut health matters. Micronutrition is important, and food sensitivities are important. You know, everyone's talking about, you know, is it a keto food, is it a keto food? I tell people, stop asking is it keto, and start asking A, is it real food, and B, is it good for me? Because if I'm allergic to avocados, avocados aren't good for me. Genetics are important, environmental factors, of course, and the relationship with food. <clears throat> so which low-carb path is for you? Is it under 100 grams, under 50, under 20? Maybe it's under 20 for a period of time while you really help improve your cellular health, and then you can actually up it to 50, maybe even periods of 100. You can, you can be flexible. What's your protein requirement? I'm sure this is one of the most confusing questions people get asked. Is your protein going to be you know, 0.8 to 1% of your ideal body weight? And by the way, what is that? Because depending on what source you're reading from, they're very, very different. Some people have a real protein threshold. As soon as you're over that, you really, really struggle with losing fat. I've got to start saying that after Ken yesterday. I've got to stop saying losing weight and start saying losing fat. Are you eating fat to satiety? Well, if you're a guy, yeah, for sure. 
fat from your plate. If you're a woman, you need more fat on your plate. Or fat from your body. Ideally, everybody's burning that. It's really going to depend. But you do have to start asking yourself some tough questions. Are you eating total carbs or are you eating net carbs? Because total is what matters. And I'm sorry to have to break it to everybody, but erythritol counts as carbs. <laughs> sorry. I know. Truth bomb. Carbs are carbs. Yeah, it's a fact. And, you know, start asking yourself, how much are you baking and how much are you cooking? Because that's also important. And remember that you can have an insulin response from looking at food. So watch what you're following on Instagram. <laughs> Just saying. So every low-carb path should start with real food. Clean, local preferably, protein, healthy, diverse fats, easy on the omega-6s, easy on the almond flours, everybody. Veg, if you like that kind of thing, go for it cruciferous sometimes, leafy greens sometimes. Think about maximizing your micronutrition every time you're trying to figure out what your macros are. Prioritize your electrolytes. I think we've all said that very strongly. And TC, you made a great point yesterday. Really, really important. And remember that healing takes time. So make time. There is not a little window on us somewhere that says, oh, look, mitochondrial biogenesis is going on. Woohoo, we can track it. We all want to see what's happening, which is why we are so addicted to the bathroom scale. Chuck it out, buy a kitchen scale. If you can't hunt it, fish it, or grow it, don't eat it. If this is how you ate to get sick, do not think that you can eat this way and get healthy. You can't. This is substituting addictions. And I will be the first one to admit, I could not have done what I did without cheesecake. Maria, thank you. I could not have done it without cheesecake. And, and I'm the first one to admit that. But I do not eat cheesecake every single day. By the way, who had the cheesecake last night? Yeah? Isn't that good? So I, I recognize that sometimes these things are required for that transition. But the thing in your mind should always be, is it real food? And guys, if it looks like bread and it smells like bread and it tastes like bread, it's bread. <clears throat> so, <laughs> just had to put that up there. <laughs> How much of your pursuit of keto is your pursuit of keto products? Really put that in your mind. You really need to unpack the old baggage. I like to say mine's all Gucci. And you need to leave it behind if you're going to adopt a really healthful perspective going forward. Eat nose to tail. I'm a huge liver and onions fan. I grew up in a family that ate a lot of awful. So, And there's a great awful cookbook out there. I think it's called The Awful Cookbook. And it is really good. Um, make sure that you're prioritizing really healthful food. Bone broth is fantastic. The chicken's feet there. Anyone cook their bone broth with chicken's feet? Yeah? Awesome. On... on uh, this new YouTube channel that I'm planning to help college students actually eat healthily. I did a scavenger hunt, and one of them is to go find chicken's feet to put in the Instapot and make broth with. So these things are important. When I'm, when I'm coaching people to try and keep it simple, because of course a lot of the people that I work with really do require therapeutic levels of ketones, and so they have to be very, very strict and very rigorous about all kinds of things. But a lot of people don't. So if you really want it simple, three proteins a day the size of your palm, some green stuff, some butter, 
The green stuff can't, by the way, be St. Patty's Day beer or green icing. <laughs> that, that's not going to work. Um, but you can really make it that simple. But I am also going to maybe say something a bit heinous and tell you all that a calorie is a calorie. It is. It's a unit of energy. <laughs> that's what a calorie is. It's not what we should be talking about. We should be talking about nutrition. Because in the same way, in the same way that Ken Berry was talking about, um, you know, are you sitting down on the seat because that's going to impact, you know, how much heat you have. You need to understand that what you eat depends on how you digest stuff and who you are. Certain Russian populations have colons significantly longer than certain Polish populations. Guess what? They absorb more calories. If you are drinking a fatty latte and you do not have lactose intolerance, then you're going to absorb a lot of calories from that. If you do have lactose intolerance, maybe not. <laughs> so you need to understand that you absorb 98% of the calories from carbohydrates and only 92% of the calories from protein. It differs. Make sure that we're talking about the same thing because a calorie is a calorie in a Bunsen burner but not when we're talking about the masterpiece that is our very complicated human body. So some takeaways. There are many factors that contribute to metabolic health. Some we have control over and some we do not. Most can be mitigated in some way through lifestyle choices. Some can't, at least not in this generation. And this is where I'm going to pause for a moment and encourage you, because I know there are going to be some women in here who are thinking, oh my God, I wish I breastfed, or I wish I had more sense, or I wish I had more time, or I wish I had more support. Please do not feel guilty about things that you did not know. Guilt happens when you make a choice to cause harm. Nobody makes a choice to hurt their baby by not being able to breastfeed. The reason you were unable to breastfeed is probably because you did not have the knowledge or the support, not that you did not have the milk. But we do a lot of things in North America to mess up labor and birth and delivery so that breastfeeding is extremely difficult. So do not feel an ounce of guilt and instead channel that anger into making sure that you are there to support the family members in your life who are having babies to make sure that they get the information that they need, the support that they need, so that they have the best chance of breastfeeding for the recommended six months exclusively and two years and beyond once they have complementary foods added. Make that your priority. Stop judging and start believing. It's pretty easy for all of us to stand here and say, oh, well, keto worked for me. I lost 100 pounds. If it's not working for you, you're doing it wrong. You're definitely doing it wrong. Let's, let's look at everything. Let's, let's analyze your macros and see where the carb creep is. You can do that, and sometimes you're going to find some red flags, but guess what? Sometimes they're doing everything right and still having problems. You go to a physician who has never been fat before, and they're going to say, well, eat what I eat, and you're going to be fine. Yeah, I've lived on 800 calories a day, not lost weight. I have lipedema. We talked about adipocytes the other day. You can have healthy adipocytes on your body and dysfunctional adipocytes on your body at the same time. Keto works really well for the healthy adipocytes, less well for the really unhealthy adipocytes, but it does still work. Sometimes you gotta drive those carbs under 20 grams, so. 
We're all individuals with our own stories, our own unique metabolisms, and to that end, we need individualized care and species-specific food. Thank you very much. If we chose to believe what people were telling us, then we would be forced and compelled to dig deeper for answers. We would be forced to open our minds and say, what am I missing? Which one of my biases do I have to challenge in order to figure out how I can help this individual? Because we are all beautiful individuals. And I see Jimmy standing over there, and I'm going, I promise. This is it. Mushrooms thrive in piles of, you know what? Roses require a delicate nitrogen balance. Some of us are mushrooms, some of us are roses. Figure out which one is you and stop trying to make other people's keto fit you. Figure out what's gonna work for you, but don't give up. Keep, keep pressing, keep learning, keep turning the dials until you figure it out, because you will. And if you get enough support and if you talk to the wonderful speakers who are here on this cruise, they've got a wealth of knowledge and someone will come up with a direction, with a perspective that will help you finally dial that in for you. And on that note, I will say thank you. Uh, living la vida loca, this show is changing lives. Uh, we talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling right. Hey. Cut up them avocados, fry some eggs, time to explore. The longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage, we're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal, yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused, don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the living la vida low carb show. Hey. The Living Low Carb Show.com. Woo! Disc of Light. <laughs>